Our most eternal and everlasting Father, we are thankful this morning for your love and your mercy. We cannot fathom the love that you have for us, but we know it is real because you have demonstrated it through your son Jesus Christ who offered himself on the cross for us. You continue to show us how good you are in the way that you take care of us spiritually and physically. Father, we can't praise you enough for what you do for us. However, we join the elect in heaven this morning to say to you, may all glory, honor, dominion, power, and majesty belong to you, for you deserve them. Ours continues to be the wonderment that you will even accept praises from earthen verses like us. We thank you. It's all possible because we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made it possible that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you hear us. So, Father, we know there are members of this congregation that are going through difficult times, Health-wise or otherwise, you are the only one that can reach them, whatever happened to be their situation. So we pray that you continue to show your kindness, show your power, so that each and every one of them will indeed know that you love and care for them. So as we have gathered this morning to study a portion of your word, we realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request now that God the Holy Spirit, the perfect communicator, will enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 13. First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 and I'm going to begin reading at verse 8 in the NIV. It reads, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not don't fall. No temptation has seized you, except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also pr- provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We are dealing with deaths of some Israelites in the desert. Now the message 
of this first Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through 13 that we have been considering if you recall is this enjoyment of God's blessings under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him again enjoyment of God's blessing under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from his judgment if you displease him now so we notice that this message implies that we are being warned against evil desires of some of the Israelites that the Lord killed in the desert now the Holy Spirit through the apostle did not leave us gazing what the evil desires were so we are provided examples or results of their evil desires that we should avoid we have considered the force of the evil things that some of the Israelites of Exodus generation desired or were guilty that led to their death, which is idolatry, because of the command of First Corinthians 10 verse 7 when it says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. So, we proceeded to consider the second. A second example or result of the evil desires of some of the Israelites that the Lord killed in the desert is sexual immorality. Now it is this sin that is given in the exhortation of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul addressed to the Corinthians and so to all of us believers about what to avoid as recorded in the first part of First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 8. Again it reads, we should not commit sexual immorality. Now this sentence, we should not commit sexual immorality, continues the exaltation of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul that began in verse 7. Now a careful reader of the text will pick this up. But it may not be clear to a careless reader because there's no connective views in verse 8 of the NIV that indicates an exaltation related to verse 7. However, the Greek of verse 8 begins with the same Greek particle that is used to begin verse 7. That may mean and not or it may mean but not. Now in verse 8, it may be translated and not or no. No, to indicate that it is used to continue a negative uh, exhortation because it said neither nor. So here it is used to uh, show that there is uh, a continuation of negative exhortation as you find also in some English versions. That begin verse 8 with the, either the connective and or simply the word no. Now there's no doubt that the instruction of verse 8 is related to that of verse 7. But the apostles seem to indicate there is a difference from his own perspective 
So in verse 7, he issued a direct command to the Corinthians not to become idolaters without including himself in the command. Probably to convey that he has never been involved in idolatry. In contrast to majority of the Corinthians who were pagans before their conversion. Of course, since the congregation in Corinth included Jews, the apostle will also be mindful of them, but because majority of the congregants were Gentiles, he issued a command to exclude himself. However, in verse 8, the apostle used a Greek form that a writer or a speaker in the Greek uses to urge others to join the person in the action advocated. Now the Greek form used is typically translated, we should, we should. But it is really better to translate it this way, let us, let us. So it is clearer then that the writer or the speaker is urging someone or others to unite with the individual in carrying out the cause of action involved in the context. So again, a careful English reader may pick up this point that the expression we should indicates that the speaker or the writer invites another to join the individual in the action advocated. But the expression let us makes it easier to see that the speaker urges one addresser to join with him in action advocated. In effect, the second expression makes it easier, the expression let us makes it easier to see that the speaker is involved in an exhortation addressed to those who are the audience or the listeners. Now our English versions really are divided in their translation of the Greek since uh, many English versions use the expression we should as we found in the NIV while others use the expression let us, let us have found for example in the New English Translation or the New American Standard Bible. Now we make an issue of this observation because it is likely that the Apostle wanted to convey to the Corinthians that they should join him in avoiding whatever it is that he stated in the verse that we are about to consider. In other words, the exhortation of the Apostle in is really in keeping with his previous exhortation to the Corinthians to imitate him. And as I have said to you, that in my judgment should be one of the more terrifying things to any pastor. Because you have to say what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16. First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. 
It's a very simple statement or instruction, exhortation. It says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Now, this is why I say it should be terrifying to every pastor. Because Paul didn't say, well, do what you hear me teach. He didn't say that. He said, imitate me. Which means that pastors, they are in a position that they have to be terrified. In other words, can we honestly say to the congregation, imitate us. That is essential. Now, in my judgment too, this is one of the reasons the Christianity we have today is so weakened. Because we have a lot of people who, yeah, they can do analysis, they talk and all that, but they do not reflect the power of the Spirit in their lives. And so people are just, you know, feel that, well, Christianity is one of those religions. It is not. It is a relationship forged by the death of, his, of the Son of God so that we receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, although I say it, it should be terrifying to every pastor, it should also terrify every believer. Why do I say that? Because you cannot be witnessing to people and you tell them about Christ and they look at you and say, oh yeah, right. If that's Christianity, I want none of it. So this is something that we believe the apostle, he understood that, took it very seriously. So when he's using this exhortation, let us, his first said, imitate me as well. So the point then is that the apostle is urging the Corinthians to imitate him regarding the action prohibited in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 10 that we're starting. So that we say, instead of the expression we should, it should really be translated, let us. It's not that we should is wrong, it's just that let us makes it more uh, understandable to anyone who uh, reads it. So anyway, the instruction or the exhortation of the apostle that prohibits the second example or result of evil desires of the Israelite that died in the desert is given again in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 8 when it says, we should not commit sexual immorality. Now based on the explanation we have given, it is probably better to translate the Greek this way. Neither let us commit sexual immorality. Now before we examine this clause, it is worth noting that sexual immorality is the first sin. The Holy Spirit mentioned through the apostle following idolatry. Now this is probably because there is a great affinity between idolatry and sexual immorality. A society that is pagan in its outlook sees nothing wrong with sexual immorality so as they say, as long as no person is hurt by it. That's the attitude. Consequently, such a society 
does not frown at such a sin. A person must believe in the supreme God of the universe to see anything wrong with sexual immorality, not merely something to be avoided, so as to not to harm others or to avoid bastards. Actually, you know, people say illegitimate children. Yeah, the right word, bastards. In other words, to avoid bastards. That may be what people say, oh yeah, having uh, you know, children outside of wedlock. Well, that's not, just, you see, that's the reason you think about it. You are on the low side of understanding God's plan. Now, a person must believe God and understand Him to see what sinful thing it is. Anyway, furthermore, the apostle mentioned sexual immorality following the sin of idolatry, probably to indicate that the sexual immorality that he was concerned here is of the type that takes place in pagan temples where sexual acts or any sexual act was considered a part of serving the gods. Now we do know that Yes, in ancient Greek world, that uh, part of that is, you know, people show that they were highly committed to their gods by prostituting themselves in the temples, men and women. Now, it is one thing, though, to be involved in sexual immorality. It is another thing for it to take place as a part of worship of a god. So, it is likely that the apostle implies that there was sexual activity going on in the pagan temples where some of the Corinthians go to eat or honor invitation to eat there. Now such a, a situation could lead to sexual immorality of the type that the apostle referenced in the verse that we are considering. Now this supposition it's not really far-fetched because there is evidence in the New Testament that some feasting in the idol temples involve sexual immorality as in the charge of that woman giving the name Jezebel in the local church in Tutira, or Tutira as recorded in Revelation chapter 2 verse 20. Revelation Revelation chapter 2 verse 20 and hold on to that Revelation chapter 2 because I'll pick up another verse there and, and so on. It reads, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads misled my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, of course, uh, we have uh, studied this in a long time ago, but uh, uh, the issue is that this woman, because of commercial purposes of gain, uh, what are done, what the truth is, and misled some people into sexual immorality. Anyway, since Apostle Paul 
her death with food sacrificed to idols, it is likely that he was associating sexual immorality as that which is possible when a person goes to a pagan temple to eat as in the incident the apostle mentioned later on uh, in verse 8 of this 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we'll consider shortly. Now the point we are really making is that the apostle conceived of a connection between idolatry and sexual immorality of the type that involves sexual activity in pagan temples. Thus, he will be exhorting the Corinthians to be careful that they are not drawn into idolatry and its associated sin related to their temples. Now be that as it may, the exhortation of the apostle to the Corinthians and so to all believers is again given in 1 Corinthians 10, 8 that we are studying. He said, we should not commit sexual immorality. Now the expression commit sexual immorality of the NIV is translated from a Greek word from where we get the word porno, pornography and all that. Now the word has to do with involvement in illicit sex. Therefore, the word means to fornicate or to commit sexual immorality as it is used to describe the failure of some of the Israelites during the Exodus because of the advice of Balaam to Balak regarding how to entrap Israel as stated still in Revelation chapter 2 look at verse 14. Revelation 2 verse 14 reads, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. I'm not going to make much comment here, but we're coming back to this uh, passage later on in our study this uh, today. Now the word is used figuratively, the uh, the Greek word, from where we get it, I say we get our word porno and so on and so on. The Greek word is used figuratively to describe involvement in idolatry. As it is used to describe the Babylon mentioned in Revelation chapter 18 verse 3. Revelation 18 verse 3. It is, for all the nations have drunk the maddening one of her adulteries. The king of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Here, each of these issues of adultery or committing adultery. It's really from a Greek word, uh, and so it's not talking about physical, sexual uh, relationship, rather. It's a way to describe adultery. See, committing, uh, committing adultery, though, in this particular passage, is really concerned again with adultery. Since it is the same concept used 
or at least using our Greek word, that is found in the charge of Prophet Isaiah, in particular, I mean all the prophets of Israel, really, against Israel, but particularly uh, the one that uh, is used by Prophet Jeremiah to denounce or to denote Israel's idolatry as being a form of sexual relationship outside the marriage bound by one who is married as the word is really used in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 6 all we are saying is the Greek word that means to fornicate or to commit a sexual sin it really can be used figuratively to describe idolatry and this is the way it is used here in uh, the concept is used in Jeremiah 3 verse 6. It is, during the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every hill and under every sp- uh, spreading tree and has committed adultery there. It's not talking about sexual relationship. It's talking about, you know, uh, those places, some of you probably have never seen anything like that. And I have to admit to you that about a few years ago, uh, that I passed by one of the local churches, what they put together, according to them, either in, for Halloween or whatever they call it. And when I saw it, <laughs> it reminded me some of the things that I have seen in the past, of where these people who are in idolatry, where they worship their gods. It looked exactly the same. And I said, mm-hmm. people just don't know what they're doing. Now, so when we're talking about under every spreading tree, this is when those who are involved in this kind of behavior or so called worship of idols, what they do is they have uh, set up altars under trees. Or, I mean, because the big, the, in sometimes the big trees they believe have uh, a lot of evil spirits or ancestral spirits surrounded there. So they go under those trees to sacrifice. That's what he's talking about here. It has nothing to do with sex. Now, anyway, in our passage of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8, it is used in a literal sense of a person who is involved in illicit. Sexual activity, hence, physically means to commit sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, the apostle had in mind, probably refers to the general thumb, fornication, that refers to any sexual activity that is outside the marriage bond, probably taking place inside pagan temples in Corinth. Now, as a general thumb, fornication will include adultery, which is, of course, sexual uh, relationship between a married person and another individual that is not the person's spouse. So, in a, a limited sense, the term fornication is used to describe consensual sexual intercourse between two unmarried persons. 
Now regardless really of the word used, the apostle is concerned with any sexual activity that is not permitted by God's design that may occur in pagan temples. Now it is God's design for sexual intercourse to occur only between two individuals married to each other. The Holy Spirit, at this point, focused the apostles' attention to normal sexual activity that involves a man and a woman, not any of the other deviances involving sex such as homosexuality or bestiality. The point here is that the concern of the exhortation of the Apostle Paul is that believers should join him in avoiding any kind of illegal sexual activity between men and women. Not between men and men, or women to women, no, between men and women. But he was more so concerned about those ones taking place in the temples. So anyway, the apostle continued to indicate that not all the Israelites were involved in sexual immorality as in the next clause of where we're studying 1 Corinthians 10 verse 8. Look at the next clause says, as some of them did. Now I know there are certain things. I understand that. When we're starting here, once I get to those areas, some of you turn off their ears. It doesn't concern me. Really. And I say, yeah, it may not concern you, but you need to understand it because you don't know when you'll be faced with a situation where you have to help somebody it concerns. And you just you know, don't have a way to go from the scripture to help the person. Anyway, this clause, when it says, and as some of them did, so this clause not only tells us that not everyone in Israel was involved in sexual immorality of the type that involved feasting in pagan temples. But it implies that it is not difficult for people to avoid sexual immorality, even the type that occurs in pagan temples, uh, if they take proper precaution not to expose themselves to situations where they will be tempted to sexual sin. Now this implication may not be easy to uh, see, but we contend it to be true because of what is implied, or what is true of those the apostle had in mind when he used the clause as some of them did. The thing the apostle said about those he had in mind that will help us to see the implication we stated in uh, that is given in, in the clause of First Corinthians ten eight and in one day twenty three thousand of them died. Now the statement of the apostle refers to what happened in the desert when some of the Israelites were enticed to idolatry through sex by Moabite women 
that certainly involved feasting or eating in pagan temple, as described in Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Numbers Numbers And I suggest though that you put your marker there Although I may go to, I'll go to one passage I'll still come back dealing with this section Numbers 25 Verses 1 through 9 It reads while Israel was uh, staying in Shirim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor, and they Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So, Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshipping the bell of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a midnight woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel where they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this. He left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelites into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelites, and into the woman's body. Then the plague against Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. Now before we examine this passage, we should immediately note that without the Israelites going to the Moabites to join in their activity or their festivity, they would not have been involved in sexual immorality and in idolatry implying that it is because they exposed themselves to such sin that they actually sinned. Now this of course is a point we made by uh, stating that an implication of the clause of 1 Corinthians 10 verse 8 when it says, and some of them did, is that it is not difficult for people to avoid sexual immorality if they take proper, uh, what I call proper precaution not to expose themselves to situations whereby or where 
They could be tempted to sexual sin. And some of you have understood when we studied 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and all the time I've been teaching anything about sexual relationship and so on. I have always advocated that men and women should not mix in private because that is an invitation to commit all kinds of things. That's why, you know, I hear all these things from the news, I really tune off my ears. So a woman goes, a man invites a woman in a hotel room. And she said, I didn't think anything was going to happen. What do you think? That's what is not being, a person is not thinking. Why would you want to do that? Expose yourself to a man, unless of course, if it's a husband and wife call you. Yeah. But a man alone? I don't get it. <laughs> I do not absolutely do not get it. I don't know what they're thinking. So the point is, is it can be avoided by being just careful. Anyway, those described in Numbers 25 did not take the proper precaution that would have involved avoidance of any relationship with the Moabites. Hence, they succumbed to sexual immorality and idolatry. See, here is the thing that we've started in the past. Generally, when people get involved in sexual immorality or adultery, it's sometimes it's not that they really, that's what they want to do. It doesn't begin there. It usually begins with conversations. And before you know it, somebody thinks they, you know, they have something for the other person. It's just conversation. So that even if a man and a woman, you be careful. Limit the way you converse with the opposite sex. Put a limit to it. Now all of this is part of what we say, be cautious. That's how the Israelites did. We will not be reading what we're reading now. So in any case, the Israelite men were entrapped into idolatry because of offer of sex and offer of food in a pagan temple. Now the situation was that the Moabites recognized there was no way to defeat Israel except if they sinned against their God. See? They understood that. So, of course, based on Balaam's advice, the women of Moab enticed some men in Israel with food and sex, as they invited them to celebrate with them. Now the result was not only that the men were involved in sexual immorality, but they also were involved in idolatry. Now we state that the Moabite women followed the advice of Balaam on how to defeat Israel. Because of what is recorded in Numbers chapter 31, verses 15 through uh, 16. Still hold on Numbers 25, though. We're going to come back to it. Numbers 31, verses 15 through 16. The background, of course, you, you, you already know, most of you know that, that uh, Balak has called Balaam to come and curse Israel. 
so he can defeat them in the battle. Everything he tried, God said, no, you can't do that. Those are blessed, you can't curse them. So, for whatever reason, the prophet wanted to get some game or to please Belak. And so he said, you know, because these people, they have this relationship with God, it's nothing you can do. But one thing you might do is, if you can get them, not to be faithful to their God, yeah, their God will not be angry and do what you want to do. And he will do it himself. And that's the background for what we're about to read. He says, Have you allowed all the women to leave? He asked them. They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice. Those women. And were the means of turning Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Pierre so that a plague struck the Lord's people. So this passage that I've read you, of course, is the basis for the statement recorded in the passage we started previously that I told you we'll come right back to in Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. It reads again, it reads, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You you have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. This is uh, this prophet suddenly became false because He gave advice on how to defeat Israel. It is just get them into idolatry, get them into sexual immorality, and God's anger will be on them, and he will do for you what you want to do yourself. Thus then, some Israelites were enticed into idolatry and sexual immorality by invitation to attend, say, a dinner party where there was to be free flowing of drinks, food, and sex. Now the men were trapped into idolatry through sex. In the incident at Peor, all of them were killed, as narrated in Numbers 25. Numbers chapter 25. Now they were killed because of idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, they would not have been involved in idolatry if they had not been enticed by food and sex. Now, I mean, I usually tell, you know, people should be very wise to know that because sex is one of those natural things that God has uh, created for human beings, it becomes a point, something that can be used as an instrument to bring down a whole lot of people. And I don't have to tell you, you listen to the news and all this is, you know how that has brought down a whole lot of people 
in this country, uh, those who aspire to be in leadership role and so on. Of course, <laughs> the more this country goes down, decays morally, spiritually, the more it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the point though is that if these men had paid attention, they would not have been involved in idolatry if they had not been enticed by food and sex. They didn't say you're going to have, we're going to worship our idols. You say, come, we celebrate. Food is plenty food. Probably don't even talk about sex either. Of course, they know that that's what goes on in that temple. Anyway, that aside, according to Numbers 25 verse 9, 24,000 people died because of that incident. However, here's the problem. The Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul, gives us what a grievous sin that was involved in Peor that 23,000 people died on the same day as we read in the last clause of First Corinthians 10 verse 8 that we are studying. It reads, again, and in one day 23,000 of them died. Now the difference between the number given by Moses and Paul is a point of debate among scholars of the modern time. Since we are told that the uh, what's called the patristic writers seem not to have been troubled by it. Indicating that they were not troubled with what modern thinkers are usually concerned. Thus, here is the thing. One say 24,000. The other say 23,000. Is there a conflict in the Bible? If we say, look at it. Same story. Look at what they're telling you. Now, you see, people who have that, that, the disposition not to believe the Bible anyway, that's the kind of thing they're looking for. But those of us who believe it know there's no discrepancy. There must be an explanation. Whether you know the explanation is another thing, but there has to be an explanation for that. Also, some explain the difference by saying that Moses rounded the number up while Paul rounded it down. That's the way they explain it. For me, I'm like the patristic writers. I find no difficulty in the perceived difference. If we simply take the fact that the Holy Spirit directed the apostle to use the number he did to provide us an information that prior to this point in the scripture had not been revealed. Now we are saying that if we accept this premise, then Apostle Paul reported only those who died in one day and not the total number of people who died because of that incident. Now the difference, as I'm explaining, is there's no conflict. All we're saying is, you know, in, in numbers, we're told 24,000. 
That's what we're told. But when we get here, Paul is saying, those who die in one day. And I'm saying, there's no conflict. It's just now we're getting some information we didn't have in numbers. So the difference would suggest that there were others that totaled 1,000 involved in the sexual immorality that is associated with idolatry that died either the next day or the day prior to the 23,000 died. That's one way to explain it. It's either before or after, but most likely could be most likely after. Of course, it is possible that the Holy Spirit conveyed to the apostle the number in such a way to exclude them those judge, the judges killed as per the instruction. Go back now to Numbers 25. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 of Numbers 25 reads this way. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. Now this information suggests that the Lord probably killed 23,000 in one day, in his anger. And that was still on Israel, as his anger was still on Israel, until the next day, when the ringleaders were executed, so that their number was then included in the 24,000 that Moses reported. See, that's it's not difficult to understand what I've just explained. If people have that, that mindset, the Bible can't be wrong. Now, as you say, the, Moses reported 24,000. That's total. But here, in order to, uh, the Apostle Paul, in order to give us the impact of what happened, how God views sexual immorality and idolatry combined, to show to us how shocking it is to God, in a sense, how God looks at it. He told us on one day, 23,000 people died in a plague, 23,000. Now, the, one, the other, uh, from this verse, we're not told that these people who killed, that those are part of the plague. But really, it's all connected. Nonetheless, what we do know is, yes, there must have been some people who, according to this instruction, were killed. They were real leaders. So anyway, having said all that, I know that people, you know, like to look at those things to uh, find fault with the Bible. But as I've said, that's not. If you understand what I explained, no, no, no problem. Anyway, this difference though is not material though to the point the apostle wants to convey. His point is that God judged idolatry and sexual immorality in such a way. To kill that many people in one day. So we see how we believers cannot see how God abhors idolatry mixed with sexual immorality. Now, consequently, the exhortation then to avoid sexual immorality requires for us to be careful 
towards anything that will entice us towards sexual immorality and materialism, which is a form of idolatry as we studied in the last two weeks. So, we should be careful then of invitations to celebrations or parties where we may be exposed to drinks or other things that dull our senses so that we may find ourselves involved in sexual immorality. That's what I'm saying is many times people get into some things because their senses something has happened to them. They are dull. They can no longer make a clear decision. And usually those things come from excessive use of alcohol. And people are inebriated and they can't think properly. Of course, some people say, yeah, well, I can think. No, you can't. If, you, if we can, I'm not sure if people can really do that. I don't know why the Bible would then say drunkenness is a sin. It's not that it's drinking is not a sin. I know some people, some Christians say it is. It's not a sin. If you want to drink, that's your business. But what is a sin is drunkenness. Because of what it does for you, it is uh, where the Bible forbids drunkenness. Cannot compare to being filled of the Spirit, because if you are truly filled of the Spirit, you are not yourself, because you do things you will not ordinarily do when you are filled of the Spirit. So anyway, all I'm saying is in practice, a believer should avoid having celebrations or attending parties with unbelievers where there is a possibility of free flow of alcohol mixed with drugs as these may be harmful to a believer's spiritual life. In short, I am saying that For all practical purposes, a believer ought not to attend parties given by unbelievers where there is a possibility of excessive use of alcohol or drugs. Now this kind of teaching that I have just given is one of the many reasons young people today Avoid local churches that are Bible teaching. Those that teach the Bible. Not wave their hand or try to please people. Those who teach the Bible. Because this kind of thing are hard to understand or to live by. And the young person doesn't want to hear that. Because he or she doesn't want to be left out. To go to join the group, whatever they are doing. And so, when... These young people do that. Well, yes, we hear what we say. Our churches don't have young people. Yes, because you've got to stick with the truth. Don't water it down. If you don't let three people, 
created for. That's all. His God doesn't require numbers to do what He wants to do. Sure, we like numbers, yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's better to have few believers who are devoted to the Lord to have a house full of people where the Spirit of God is not functioning. So these young people, they flock to where they have a lot of music and dancing and so on and so forth. In the end, there's very little teaching given to them. And so they come out, behave like unbelievers, and which many of them are too. Anyway, the second example, or result of the evil desires of some of the Israelites of Exodus generation, was sexual immorality that drew God's immediate judgment so that 24,000 people died altogether. So that's the second. A third example or result of evil desires of some of the Israelites that the Lord killed in the desert is constantly doubting of God's power and faithfulness to provide for Israel. See, that's it. The, again, the third example or result of their evil desires is constantly doubting of God's power and faithfulness to provide for Israel. It is the sin that is then given in the exhortation of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul addressed to the Corinthians and so to all of us believers about what to avoid as recorded in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 9 that was studying reads We should not taste the Lord as some of them did. That's Again, when I say this is the third example or result of their evil desires is simply that they constantly doubted God's power and faithfulness to provide for them. That's what the apostle again says. We should not taste the Lord. Taste the Lord as some of them did. Well, before I examine this exhortation, and look at our time. I don't think I get much anywhere. So it's best for us to take a break here, and after that we begin with this uh, clause. <laughs> 